0: and welcome to the next class. I'm Rob Birdsell, your host, and I'm joined today by a very good friend and colleague, Katie Everett. Katie, welcome to the next class.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Good. Great to have you here um, and look forward to this conversation. Um, I'm, I don't know if you notice, I'm sporting the Eiley jacket.
1: It's very nice. I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting one of those myself someday, maybe.
0: <laughs> you gotta get, When you get back out to Lone Rock, there should be one there for you. Um, anyway so katie tell our listeners about your your organization your role at the organization i think it'll be quite an interesting don't know that we've had anybody from a foundation on the podcast in four seasons
1: sure great uh sure i'm so i'm katie everett i'm the executive director of the lynch foundation which is a family foundation here located in boston um, founded by Peter and Carolyn Lynch, it's been around for 35 years. This is actually the CRS year 35 years, and I've I've been with the family in for 27 years. Um, so I was the first staff person they ever had. Um, and uh, it's actually just two of us still to this day. Um, The family is focused on five different areas, one of which is Catholic education and has been a a significant focus of ours at the Lynch Foundation, in addition to it being a significant focus of Peter Lynch's, who has been, up until this year, he just retired, was the chair of the Catholic Schools Foundation board in Boston, Um, and single-handedly, was responsible for raising over $150 million for scholarship dollars over the last 35 years for kids to go to Catholic schools in the Boston uh, area. And this amazing. year we celebrated with having a big dinner, honoring him, his daughters were the chairs, and they raised over um, $22 million. Was it was fabulous. Going dinner. dinner. Yep. Wow. wow,
0: that's pretty amazing. Yep. Um, and um, what are the other four pillars or other four areas of interest?
1: Sure, so so education, um, we, we focus on education, healthcare, care um, based on social determinants, um, religious and educational efforts of the Roman Catholic Church, housing. Um, and then the fifth one is historic, cultural and open space and access for all. So it's a very broad, broad mission. <laughs> wow.
0: And I mean, I know you for most of those 20 plus years in education, and you're pretty deep in education. Are you that deep in all of those areas? Yeah, I guess you have to be.
1: Uh, uh, you, you, have to be, and then the way we structure the foundation, it's a family foundation, but majority of our trustees are non-family and have work experience in those ah, five areas. Okay. So they're experts that sit on our boards. Um, and I happen to, I feel like I probably know Catholic education cause I lived it myself having been a graduate of a Catholic high school and college um being a parent in catholic schools and then when i graduated i went and actually worked at the archdiocese of boston i was there for about 18 months that's how i met peter because i was working at the catholic schools foundation um and so then you know i worked for him so it's been it's, been a, it's always been a part of myself and my life um and so i think catholic education is, is pretty near and dear and so there's there's an innate curiosity for me to try to figure it out and and to make sure we sustain it and grow it and maintain that option for for other folks
0: absolutely and um, one of those is you mentioned religious of the Catholic Church what what was that one or what's that one about
1: it's it's religious and educational efforts of the Roman Catholic Church so we don't just do k-12 education um, we also will do some work with the seminarians or mm-hmm. uh um, or we'll do faith-based, like Renew International is a group that we funded in its in, in its beginning stages, and now it's an international organization all over the world. We funded you know the amazing work of the Sisters of Notre Dame when they're doing solar paneling and clean water all over Africa. I mean, oh, we've done some super cool stuff, photovoltaics. I mean, it's like some really awesome stuff across our of our of, that's driven by leaders of our faith.
0: That's that's really interesting. And and you go equal in all five from a funding to, is it split evenly 20% or is it depend on a year? No.
1: Yeah, it, it, it definitely ebbs and flows. And, and I, and I think we run the foundation the same way Peter ran the Magellan fund, to be very frank with you. And so when an opportunity presents itself, um, you know, we, we like to, we like to be aggressive uh, in that opportunity. And so, sort of to, 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 to pigeonhole ourselves into buckets, like 20% across the Five areas, I think, wouldn't serve any of us well. We might miss an opportunity that that that, that would be presented to us. So no. <laughs> Interesting.
0: And are you uh, <clears throat> do you fund? So it sounds like you fund globally, not just in Boston.
1: Um, so we the, the 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 sort of the boot the roots have got to be here in Boston, right? So the sisters of Notre Dame, the mother house, actually is up in Ipswich, and they did the photovoltaic at their working farm and demonstrated how it would work, and then talked about how they would go in different countries in Africa and build these units. And then they also taught themselves to how to maintain them and fix them. And this is like amazing. So, and same with like the other big global group that we worked with is uh, Partners in Health. So Paul Farmer, but and he was here at Harvard Medical School and it was a very close dear friend um, over time because we work with him for the 35 years that Partners Health existed um, and continued to support that organization upon his departure, which was an extraordinary loss for us all. Um, And so that, but Paul was here, right? And Partners in Health started here in Boston and with Harvard Medical School.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, So many of our listeners are Catholic school leaders, as you know, and um, most of their fundraising is done through alumni, which makes sense but they they often will Mm -hmm. go to foundations um, and I would just, I think they'd be interested to hear if any thoughts you have or how school leaders should think about foundations and in your case, a family foundation, but just putting Mm -hmm. your your funder head on, what are some best practices, some do's, some don'ts um, as a Catholic school leader thinks about approaching foundations?
1: Sure. So interesting because the president of my um, high school was just just in my office uh, uh, right before we, you and I jumped on um, what, uh, what jumped onto this podcast uh, uh, Notre Dame Academy in Hingham yeah okay. um, and and um, and we might blurt this part out you might me might block this part out but I'm not gonna because it's an all girls high school in Hingham that I'm a proud graduate of um, and in uh, the sisters of Notre Dame that God bless them I think if they ran the world we would have been in much we would be in a much better place. Uh, and then there are some blind spots, and so um, a few years ago they changed the mascot, uh, and so we are now the Cougars. So the mascot of all girls' no. high school that I went to, and I've been begging them to make T-shirts that say "I'm a proud Cougar," But they're not. That's too funny. I feel like it would be a great fundraising opportunity for any of you school leaders out there. Um, but so, but she was just in my office, and we, we we did we we have this honest conversation around. You can you you've talked to me about different. You can talk to me. You, you have to deal with me with sort of three different roles, right? As an alumni, as an ad- a donor, because my husband and I are personal donors, and then as a foundation head, right? And those three mm-hmm. conversations look and feel real different. Um, and so the, the conversation, I think, around how do you approach foundations is, is I would, as in any, any conversation you're having or, or, or any student or, or parent you're talking to, is, is just make sure there's a fit, right? Is a fit Right. Um, because all the foundations generally have the mission statements on their foundation or somewhere available. You can find it on GuideStar. Um, and I think you just make sure that, that it's the right fit, right? That they're funding in education, that they're funding in Catholic education. Do they fund capital projects? Do they fund program? Do they fund scholarship? And then make sure you position that. So do your homework, right? Like as you would with anything. And then make sure you position that, that conversation appropriately. And, and then the big one is, you know, you you don't you got to ask, right? I mean, I think a lot of times that's a difficult conversation to have, but you, if you don't ask, you don't know. And, and I would like to believe that people who sit in my role um, are, are, are used to, we're very used to having people ask, and so we're very comfortable giving feedback, whether it's a no with some feedback or a yes and some feedback or a maybe and here's why. Um, and so this, that's what we're hired to do, right? Have those, those frank conversations on behalf of the family.
0: And um, you have to make the ask. I think that's probably the hardest part for people raising money. Um, the relationship, the research, the fit, I think that's probably comes somewhat natural. But they ask, any, um, any suggestions on, on how to do that or, or some examples of a good ask or a bad ask?
1: <laughs> uh, many, uh, both actually., uh, but we here's what I would tell you. I think that we like to think of it as a partnership. um and so so real, like just just honesty, right? I mean, I think knowing and understanding what your needs are, uh, genuine needs are, right? Um, you know, um and the the challenge the challenges, I think, uh, oftentimes, some of the greatest relationships and the longest relationships we have are working with our grantees through their challenges. I, I mean, we have that here in in Boston. I mean, I think we've worked with. There's a hundred Catholic schools left in the Boston diocese. I I know probably literally intimately, more than 50% of those school heads and leaders. Uh, And we don't fund them directly, right? But they know that they can call me or ask me or talk to me about different things, and we will fund them or work with them in different ways at different times. And so also thinking about us not as just a opportunity for financial investment, but that most of us in the Catholic ed space, foundation space, right? We all work together and sort of know each other. Like Rob alluded, like Rob and I have known each other for 20 plus years throughout our different roles and different places we've been in the Catholic education space nationally. Um, and so we all talk to one another and, you, and and I think you never know until you start to get to know somebody. And so coming into a and Conversation with with curiosity um, and not assumptions, and so just candid conversations. I think like your truth. I think that and 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 that that you know that's greatly appreciated. Uh, not don't love the 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 horse and pony show at all. You know, um, and so I think keeping it really basic and and to I think that's if you're working in Catholic education, right? I think we're all on the same. We all probably, we, I think we. I like to believe we all have the same core values, right? And so just rooting yourselves in those core values around honesty and integrity and truth and vulnerability um, and asking for help and, and figuring out that that what that looks like together.
0: Um, you know, when I was at Crease DeRay at the network, I remember um, asking the Gates Foundation, um, uh, the person I worked with there, um, some advice on fundraising as they were our biggest donor. And he said, never bring your, your advancement person. And I just found that really interesting. Like, he's like, I don't want to talk to a fundraiser. I want to talk to the CEO. Like if you're asking for a significant, you know, amount of money, it was just being somewhat new at that time to, to raising funds. I found it a really interesting comment that, that, um, he, he was speaking on behalf of foundations, but like, they don't want to see a fundraiser. They want to yeah. be talking to the, either, he said, you come, or your chief academic officer, your chief mission officer, like, that's who we want to talk to.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, I, that actually, you're 100% right. That is actually way better advice than what I just said. Uh, because, I do think because the role and I think there is some confusion on the chief fundraising officer should be doing all the research and teeing you head of school up or you principal or you academic up to have a successful conversation with the head of the foundation. right? And so that there's a division of duties and sometimes that gets confused. because I will be candid, and I say this all the time when people ask me, "Do you know a good development person?" Mm-hmm. Not really. I mean, or I've been here for 27 years, and I can name them on one hand, right? Because that is a that is a role that I don't want to meet them, right? And the ones that I genuinely do meet, sometimes are like don't know enough about the organization, so they don't present well. Ironically, because they're not that's not their expertise. Their okay. expertise is fundraising and development, so it's a very interesting kind of role. That's a great point, Rob.
0: Yeah, no, it was, I found it so interesting and in that they, uh, uh, and I like what you just said, that your development person should be setting you up for, for everything. Like I remember at Christa Ray, Kansas City, the development person did everything, all the research on the donor, set Sister Vicki up, who was on our podcast last month, uh, literally drove her to the meeting, but didn't go in. Yeah. But yeah. Sister Vicki, this is who you're meeting. This is who they've given to. This is why I think it's a fit. This is what I think you should th- ask for. Um, you know, th- and then literally dropped her off and said, I'll be yeah. back in an hour.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, that's perfect.
0: Another one, uh, two friends of ours that we know, Jeff Thielman, John Foley, and BJ Casson. Mm-hmm. This, this is one of the classic stories in fundraising ever that Jeff, who was the fundraiser, you know, had met BJ years ago, and he gave a little money to his um, his working boys center. I think it was in Peru that Jeff was working for, but Jeff kept the name, kept him engaged. And when he got to Christa ray he invited BJ to come out and see the school. And Jeff had it all set up that Father Foley was going to ask for them to pay for the gymnasium. Um, do you know this story? Do you know where this is going? Uh, no, no <laughs>
1: I love but, it though, because I can picture the three of them, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's,
0: it's an amazing story of two of the three have been on on here. Um, so Jeff has teed Father Foley up, done the research, got the big donor to come and I'm gonna ask him for a gym. They needed a new gym. And they're sitting there, and then BJ said the greatest line that a funder can say to a potential donor, "How can I help you?" Mm. And John, instead of asking for a gym, he said, can you help us replicate Chris DeRae? Oh. Jeff was so pissed off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and But that then became the Chris movement. You know, now 40 schools later. But but BJ was a venture capitalist. He knew mm-hmm. replication. Um, mm-hmm. And he has said many times, as I've heard him, that had Father Foley asked for a gym, he would have said no.
1: That's so, it's so, that's, that's a great Understand your audience. Like, that is so great because so many people come to us and have asked for like scholarship dollars. And I'm like, we, we give so much money that we, we had given so much money to the Catholic Schools Foundation. And that was Peter's baby. Like, that's a, it, they confused the two organizations. And I was like, we don't do scholarship aid through the Lynch Foundation, right? Like, we're investing in innovative programs. We're like pushing the needle. We're doing systems change work, right? Like, not that scholarship dollars don't do that. There is a place for that. That is not here. Right. That is not what we do here. Yep, It's so interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, it's it, it's such a great story. And, and, you know, Father Foley to this day, he'll be like, I don't I don't know what made me ask that. You know, I just it just came to me. The Holy Spirit. Oh, my word.
1: Just going to say we should just call that the Holy Spirit. divine intervention. Yeah. Yes.
0: Great. Well, we're going to take a pause here to hear uh, a word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with some more conversation with Katie Everett. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to
1: learn more. Now back to the episode.
0: All righty, Katie, we're back. Uh, fun first half of the conversation. Thank you for that, um, and I think some great wisdom for our listeners, for school leaders. But um, let's let's turn now to this system that you and I have been in for so long of Catholic schools. And, um, you know, you have been in this and trying to affect change, as you said, for, for 27 years. Um, What, first off, what has changed for the better as you've witnessed it, but number one, and then number two, what needs to change as we go forward?
1: Sure. Um, So so it's, uh, it, uh, I think there's so many, there's so many positives that have happened over the course of the last several years. Um, and I think it was, some of it was a little bit of a perfect storm, right? I think the, the, the school choice movement has like ramped up so significantly and has allowed for more public aid to, to be available for our Catholic schools all over the country. You know, Massachusetts isn't one of those beneficiaries, but 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 so many states have adopted new school choice programs so i think number one school choice movement has been an extraordinary partner um, for the catholic schools across the country number two i think covid you know mm-hmm. I, I i think it's hard not to talk about the global pandemic um, without acknowledging the fact like in, in a state specifically like massachusetts where our schools stayed opened and served kids Throughout the pandemic, when many of our public schools closed, um, you know, our Catholic schools got to for in a long time had not been able to demonstrate to the community how much they always put children and families and students first. Um, And and they really lived that and demonstrated that through the pandemic and I think reminded people um, that these were safe havens and and incredible places um, for their kids. Um, And so we saw a surge in our enrollment there. Um, and then once families got there, you know, I think they realized what Catholic schools were all about or reminded what they were all about. Um, and 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 we've maintained that growth in enrollment and enrollment and in fact, actually um, have seen an increase. And um, in, so I think, and I think Catholic schools have the ability to be nimble and operate in different ways um, than the public school sector. Um, and so I think that as soon as folks recognize the ability to be nimble and to be different and to embrace that, um, that's where the real growth and innovation can happen within our Catholic schools. So I think there's really great stuff that's happening. Um, I think there's national conversations about how do we work together. I think there's collaboration, there's communication. I think there's thinking around, there's different models that have popped up, right? We all know our good friends, like like a Josh Hale at Big Shoulders and Jill Kafka um there's 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 innovative networks that are that are that are coming up that are creating creating generating ideas um and and innovations here in boston we just launched the catholic school system network um it's an alternative model to the catholic school's office um and we actually you know have have created a totally different model here and so i think there's different models that are popping up around what can we do to evolve the system of schools Um, and, 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 and I think, again, Catholics can lead in that because Catholic school systems can be more innovative next to their, their cumbersome, um, public school systems.
0: You know, another one that I don't, are you familiar with the Julie Billiard school network in Ohio? Oh,
1: yes. They're amazing.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. I I think it's the most innovative. Like it's the, it's the sisters of Notre Dame, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course it is.
0: Yeah, And their leader, Lanny is, I think, one of the best school leaders in the country. and um yeah, but it's, it's a great. holy holy place. The first time I stepped yeah. foot at their original school, um, mm-hmm. you just felt the presence of the Holy spirit. it It is, I think, one of the most magical, mm-hmm. growing new networks of Catholic education serving, a yeah. population we've historically not served.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know what, Rob, I, that's what I think. I think we've got to remember as Catholics, why did why were Catholic schools created to begin with, right? Like they they were created to serve those that others would not serve, right? Mm -hmm. Formerly enslaved women. I mean, so then, and then we have just been an economic uh, social mobilizer for immigrant families for a century now, right? And like, so what are we in business to do? That is our business, right? And to serve all God's kids, all, all, you know, and so- so the the billiard uh, model is phenomenal because we're learning, we're 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 educating st- alternative student learn students with learning needs, right? And we should have been doing that forever. we would just never really thought about it. Or or all the early ed that like we here in Boston have said you we should be serving kids as young as three months old, like brain development for zero to five ninety. Cool. 90- percent of your brain is developed from zero to five what are we doing and oh by the way we believe at catholic schools parents are their first teachers we need to be in partnership here right and so 20 of this 24 schools across the boston diocese are serving kids from like three months here three months old yeah right and so this real Mm -hmm. idea of like we we kind of forgot what we were what what were we in the business of doing
0: yeah right because we were so successful our alumni wanted their kids to come, and all of a sudden, before you know it, we were serving very wealthy communities, and and I think there are things like Julie Billiard, Chris that have helped us return to the roots of Catholic education. I mean, DePaul University here in Chicago was founded because Northwestern and University of Chicago had a cap on the number of Catholics that they would take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's why the Vincentians started DePaul, because there are too many Catholics, and the, the two universities here wouldn't serve them, and so uh, DePaul was started. And, um, Uh, For our listeners, I highly recommend Googling Julie Billiard Schools Ohio, Um, Mm -hmm. and you can learn about them. They have a great website and um, uh, and just an incredible team. You know, the other thing, looking back, what has been interesting, then we'll go forward, Katie, but um, Mm -hmm. when I was born in 1970, 52% of the teachers and staff in Catholic schools were religious.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Today, it's 2% religious. Uh, Even five years ago, of the 28 Jesuit universities, they had five lay leaders. This year, of the 28 Jesuit schools, they have five Jesuits leading them. I mean, the lay people have have really stepped up. Um, I was with Father Parks, who you might remember from New York, and he was saying he thinks it's so much better, though, with the lay people because of the intentionality around our Catholic identity that is being generally done, not always. And as you know, with with and that group out in Colorado, um, Mm -hmm. real desire to be spiritual leaders. Whereas he said when he was at his Jesuit school, there were just all these black robes around and everybody thought it was Catholic because all the Jesuits are here. And he said now he sees the lay people being so much more intentional that they have to be. And I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that
1: um it's that's i I love that perspective actually uh and i'm gonna definitely reuse that story when we get you know criticized by some of our colleagues at uh central office um on behalf of all the catholic school heads who i always laugh you know like i I don't think anyone of anyone goes into this business to make money right i think it's because we have this deep innate spiritual connection right and 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 so it, it's funny to criticize the lay that are running our schools or who's te- you know be rigorous and who's teaching our theology and say ridiculous things such that. Um, so I love that perspective, and I do. I do. I think, I think we need to be conscious and aware, right, that the that the the world has changed so much, right, um, and folks aren't flocking to religious orders that they used to, and and numbers of pastors, um, priests. Um, religious women are are declining drastically, and there is this extraordinary group of folks that want to run and believe in our Catholic schools and continue to lead 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 them. Um, and instead of criticizing, we should really really raise that up and celebrate that, right? And and then oh, by, oh, by hopefully also saying, hey, a couple of the bishops, could you, could you stop giving us a hard time, right? <laughs> because. like we're the ones who are actually sitting in the pews on Sunday and, and, and it's again, not a full, full place. Um, So, so I do, I appreciate that. And I do, I think it's, it's a part of the challenge. And I, and I wish we could turn that into a much more optimistic and positive conversation um, and use that as a positive to, to to build towards um, a stronger and larger flock and faith, frankly.
0: No, absolutely. And and you mentioned the bishops, Um, you and I had the opportunity to, to be with, a number of them and and i gotta say katie it was it was kind of depressing it uh at my table you moderated a table i moderated a table i had five bishops at my table and and they didn't want to be in the business of education they said mm-hmm. their priests don't want to do it their parishioners don't want to do it because they don't want to support a school where the parents don't go to church on sunday and mm-hmm. um and i didn't mean to be disrespectful but I, finally i paused and i said hey guys like if you're not in education you're not going to have a church, and you know what, Katie? Yeah. None of them had ever thought about that.
1: I'm like, yeah. what? Come yeah. on, like,
0: mm-hmm. I don't, what, did you have any takeaways from from your time with the bishops last month?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, I uh, <clears throat> I love that story, and I think the reason why we put those kinds of groups together, right? Like, the, that's the beautiful part of us forcing our way in or getting ourselves invited to the U.S. bishops conference is so that we can have those kinds of conversations. Right, because a lot of times the bishops are just talking to each other, and there's a mm. vacuum there. Right, I think it was a very grounding reality for all of us. Because I did, I learned some interesting stuff um, about the hierarchy. Which you'd think after all these years, I kind of understood, but not really. And I think I'm kind of politically sophisticated, but I realized how naive I was. Um, so I, I think it's complicated, and and yet very basic. Right, if you want to have, if we want to have a Catholic, if we want to have a Catholic Church in the United States. In the in for 50 more years, you better invest in Catholic schools,
0: 100%. right?
1: And and people have to understand the parents whose students are at that parish school might not go to your parish, but they might be going to another parish, and together we are better collectively, right? I I it, it, I have to keep reminding folks that we have to remember we should be proud Catholics, and there's a piece of the humility with our faith that I think holds us back often, but at some point. We have to stop being on the defense and we have to be on the offense and we have to say, Hey, guess what? We forget. Let's not forget the Catholic school system is the large second largest school system in our country, Mm -hmm. right? Let's Mm -hmm. not forget the Catholic church is the second largest social, social service agency in the country, right? We support, we support formally incarcerated folks, substance abuse disorder folks, unwed mothers, um, formerly um, sex trafficked victims, you know, battered women's shelters. We, we support immigrants. We are dealing with the migrant crisis here. I mean, we do so much as a Catholic community. Um, we, are, we are critical to the success of our country, not just our church, right? And so we have to think about how we talk about ourselves um, with pride and humility and truth, um, because it is true, is that our our re, our religious schools are not led um, by leaders by 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 religious leaders anymore, but they're led by deeply spiritual folks. Uh, and then oftentimes, Rob, you know, I've been around for a couple decades, right? I I worked at the archdiocese when Cardinal Law was the cardinal, hmm. right? I worked I worked with Cardinal Sean for a long time, right? Let's. There's a lot of lot of different types of leadership styles um, that that maybe you know lay leaders might be able to address that style in a different manner um, to 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 hopefully enable and sustain growth in our schools and in our church.
0: Absolutely, I mean, when Jesus chose his apostles, he didn't go to a school of theology to get get them. You know, he got a couple fishermen, kind of crappy fishermen, and and a math guy, a tax collector, and. And look at what they did. Um, and and right. the schools, I mean, there's this great story um, of a Sister of Mercy school who um, the president, a lay woman, uh, chooses a religious theme every year for their school. And um, she chose the prodigal son, but she renamed it the prodigal daughter. It's an all girl school. And she had every young girl at that school rewrite the story from a girl's perspective. Oh. And it kind of generated, I mean, they all throughout the year, they talked about it. Different girls read their story. Uh, near the end of the year, one mother came in and said, um, you know, we're going back to church because we're I am the prodigal daughter. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you're not getting that without a school. Yeah. And a spiritual lay woman as the leader of that school who kind of kind of bold, like rewrite the Bible. <laughs> yeah. From a woman's perspective, how cool is that?
1: That's awesome. Um, We need more of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All righty, final shift. We've been talking about what good is a lot of great that has been happening the past 20 years. As you look forward, what are the opportunities that get you excited for Catholic education, the changes that need to be made for us to thrive for another 50 years, as you said?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the funny part is, um, you know, I'm optimistic that the bishops say they don't wanna be in the business of schools. Great, don't be in the business of schools. (laughs) Be in the the business of spirituality, right? Stay in your lane, we'll stay in ours. You know, I think that that would be so wonderfully complimentary, Mm -hmm. right? Is there a way where we can actually engage, can some of our Catholic schools you know, engage with their pastors and um, and and religious heads in a different way. Not in they don't have to run the business. They don't not they're not. Okay. They don't have, most of them don't understand school finances. They don't understand parents and enrollment. They're not, they've never been a parent, right? They don't understand a teenager or an elementary school development needs necessarily. They don't have, you know, teaching degrees. They don't understand academics. Like, great. But so how about you come and you work with us and teach, you know, teach Catholicism, teach theology, like present, you know, like, be available. Right. So, so like that actually gives me hope, right? That they say they don't want to be in the business. We don't want you, excuse me, forgive me. Um, We, we, we accept that you can't be in the business. Let us be in the business and let you do here and let we need each other to be successful. So, that gives me some hope that you heard that. Um, The other thing I think that gives me great hope is like, I I think we, we, it has been a time of crisis for a really long time. um, And there is not, you know, there is, you know, pastors, um, attention's been, been drawn and, and, and pulled in so many different directions. I think there is enough um, momentum to move forward. I think we really need to talk about, um, it's across the country, education is about to come off a financial cliff from the COVID relief dollars, right? I think there's a moment in time where our Catholic schools can again, once again, like step up, right? Because we're not facing that fiscal crisis that our public school systems are, right? And And we are maintaining stability and strength and opportunity for students um, and we won't be doing budget cuts and we won't be having to deal with any of those challenges right We continue to offer a safe stable spiritual whole child education opportunity so, so I think that there's that um, but but and regardless of that I think we need to talk about like our school system structures and really start using data and understanding who are we serving how are we serving them and why are we serving them? right, to the billiard model, right? Like what, what, no one really thought, well, what, why aren't we serving this incredibly unique, beautiful population of students, right? And, and so there's a new model, like, again, why aren't we serving the infants and toddlers, right? Which, by the way, is an incredible enrollment and retention strategy for our young teachers, right, who are having children who also need a place for their children to thrive and grow, right? And there's, there's these wonderful things happening. The school that I think we have to have an honest conversation around what is the role of the superintendent, right? I, I don't think a superintendent at all should exist in any system anywhere, right? Public, charter, public. Because it is absolutely insane, at least in large comprehension, large comprehensive districts, to believe that one person should be responsible because that job is become so political, and you're supposed to know school finance, you're supposed to know school academics, leadership, enrollment, pa- dealing with parents, dealing with students, dealing with legal issues, immigration issues. It is actually absurd for us to believe that one person should be responsible for all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we tote them out and put them in front of like a school committee or a whatever, and then you know blame them for every single problem we have across the hundred some odd schools. It's insane to believe that that should be one person's job. Also, frankly, in a Catholic school system, it's a system of schools, not a school system. We got parish model schools, we got independent schools, we have right, we got the Jesuits who are running their schools, we got the Zavarian brothers who running their schools, Sisters NDA, the no one really has authority over them. It's so silly to even think that this job has any positive effect like on the outcomes of children.
0: So what what would you have in, in place of of that?
1: I think it's a management system. You put in a management system, organizational, like management system, right? And so, because we need we need a director of admissions, a director of enrollment, a director of curriculum alignment for K-12s and high schools, right? So we it's need a, utility like, a, like a CMO model. 100%, right. To we a need management people, organization. We need because like you know you know and i know we got schools that are charging sixty thousand dollars a year to three thousand dollars a year how dare how do we think we treat that school this these these schools the same and then everything in between and then for boston we're running from lawrence down to brockton and everything in between right we have we have you know we have significantly you know um um depressed communities um economically depressed communities and some of the most extraordinary wealthy communities in the in the state of massachusetts it's it's absurd to think that we have a superintendent that runs those kinds of models and that a school leader, let's be frank, and these are all school leaders that are listening to this, right? That these school leaders are even on the same page, right? They might spiritually and morally be and collect and and there, there's awesome convenings that we should be hosting to get these folks together. But, but the head of a school that's charging 60,000 a year and the head of a school that's charging $3,000 a year, their daily issues are so different that to get them together on those kinds of topics is silly. To get them together on the topics of, like, what are we doing as a church and a community and as Catholic school leaders, as spiritual leaders, to your point, Rob, like, where is their spiritual leadership? That makes sense. But it, academics, enrollment, development, oh, my gosh.
0: Well, it's interesting because earlier we've talked about networks, the Julie Billiard Network, the Chris Network. Some of the innovation in the Catholic market are these management organizations that, um, yeah. you know. You know, Julie Billiard, they own and run those schools because they're all local and they have a certain. But you're a right, totally unique funding model, totally unique students. Um, Chris DeRay, the same thing. They have a unique funding model, serve a certain set of students. So when they get together, they're all they're all alike. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well,
1: or, or at least think about it. And so like at least regionalize the systems. Right. So you can think like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can think like because The Merrimack Valley looks really different than Suffolk County. And like, so it's like, it's different. For crying out loud, you're from Chicago, right? I'm from Boston, right? I mean, neighborhood to neighborhood, the communities look different, right? Like I'm from a different part of like the South End and like the, the school, you know, three blocks over is serving a totally different community. It's like, you know, you can't, I mean, it's silly. It's it's ridiculous to think that's what I, I just think the superintendent role is absolutely ridiculous. And I, I know that's, con- I know that's a little, um, controversial, uh, uh, controversial, but frankly, if we don't start having these candid candid conversations, we're, we're just gonna We're You and I are going to be having the same conversation. It will be you and I in another 30 years, right? And <laughs> I love you, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I want to leave it better than where we began. And we've got like the next five years probably to make that happen. Or we've, or we might as well just call it quads.
0: Well, I knew when I invited you, this was going to be a fun conversation, Katie. So uh, thanks for bringing the controversy. We like that. We want these topics out there, as you said. Um, And um, uh, one final question before I let you go. Um, Really appreciate your coming on. This is going to be fun. Uh, As our listeners will find out, we have a friend of ours on. We're actually recording tomorrow. Josh Hale has been mentioned a couple of times. So... um, Also a fun conversation. I'll try to poke him to get some controversial statements too, because we need, as you said, we need to keep changing and evolving and and hard conversations are what we need to be having. So thank you for that. So the final question, uh, I didn't prep you for this one, I'd never uh, prep anyone. But I asked the same question of every guest for the past four years, and that is, who is your greatest teacher and why?
1: Oh, that's so! I like that. I have so many, but I do have totally one of my absolute favorite teachers uh, was, was a woman named Mrs. Doyle. She's subsequently passed away. She was my teacher at Notre Dame when I was there, and um, she was my um, English teacher and then became my debate teacher. So you can see why she probably, right? <laughs> I wasn't the greatest student, which might shock you, probably not. But uh, it was like in the bottom quartile of my class, uh, which is always so fun when the head of school has to come and ask me. Like they asked me to be the valedictor or the commencement speaker, and I was like, "Did you pull my transcript?" Um, <laughs> but uh, but she, I mean, she ignited in me sort of a love of like the the innate curiosity and debate and and um, and learning in sophomore year of high school, uh, and and really was just an extraordinary person. And the funny part is, I got to answer this only because I think this is funny. Someone else asked me that. Um the story. Um and uh the, the founder of Relay um uh, school, Norm Atkins. I don't know yep. if you know Norm. Yep. Okay, yep. so also like professional hero, he's an amazing guy, asked me the same question when um years ago when we were talking about doing some stuff and uh and he laughed and he goes, That's my founding uh, like partner uh, wife's mom is that weird? And I was like, that is so unbelievable. But anyway, so weird small world story just that good people find each other. You know, he's a founder of an incredible charter school network and um, uh, alternative teacher program, Norm is. But, you know, we're all, I think everybody in this space is trying to do good and and do right by kids. And it's a huge honor to be with you, Rob, today. And it's a lot of fun. No, a
0: lot of and fun. good
1: luck you. To- Good luck to Josh. Can you put him on the hot seat for us, please?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm working on some hot questions for Josh. So listeners, if you enjoyed today, I know you're going to enjoy uh, the next episode with Josh. We actually have a, the head of Salisbury School uh, in Connecticut joining, who's a good friend of Josh's and a colleague of mine. And so it's going to be a, a, lot of, a lot of fun school conversations with those two. But um, Katie, awesome having you on the next class for our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating. Share this with your family and friends and hope to see you again on the next class. Katie, thank you.
1: Thanks, Rob.